Our text this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 1 through 44. We will read the entirety of that now, so get comfortable. This will take a moment. Hear now the Word of God. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go also, that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary, to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher is come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb weep there. 
Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! And he who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Our gracious and merciful Father in heaven, as we come now to your word, we ask that you would grant your Holy Spirit to illumine the preaching and the hearing of your word. Help us to understand the life-giving truth of your word and draw us closer to Christ as we do. Where our faith is weak, strengthen us as we see that he who created life also holds power over both life and death. For it is in Jesus' victorious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We come now once again to one of the I Am passages in John. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. This statement of Jesus is the very pinnacle of our text today. This statement aligns perfectly with the reason John gives for writing this gospel. These are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. This statement is at the very heart of the gospel, the good news. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. It is also how we close our profession of faith in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. As we keep the great import 
of that I am statement of Jesus in focus, let us go back now to the text and try to answer a few questions that naturally arise as we read this passage. Let us take some time and try to imagine the setting, the context, the emotions, and the glory on display. And as we do so, let us draw near to Christ and believe with fresh faith. So now beginning at verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother was Lazarus, was sick. Therefore the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And so begins John with this narrative, and we are introduced to Lazarus of Bethany, the brother of Mary and Martha. In order that we not be confused about the identity of Lazarus and the people in this story, John helps us to see just who this Lazarus is. It is not the Lazarus, Lazarus the beggar from the parable in Luke 16, who dies and is carried into the bosom of Abraham. No, this is a dear friend of Jesus. This is the brother of Mary and Martha from Bethany. And this Mary is the very same Mary that anointed Jesus' feet with expensive fragrance and wiped it off with her hair. Jesus gets word via a messenger that Lazarus, his dear friend Lazarus, is sick. Now, this is not any announcement, just any announcement of sickness. It is not of the kind, oh, by the way, have you heard, Lazarus is sick. No, this is delivered with urgency and expectancy. It is understood that Lazarus is very sick, the kind of sick that can result in death. And what is Jesus' response to this news, to this dire message? He says, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. And just in case we didn't catch it the first time, the Holy Spirit through John reminds us in verse 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. This was a very dear family to Jesus. Jesus had stayed with them previously and had come to love them as close friends. And so it is particularly surprising when in the next verse we read, When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, He abode two days still in the same place where he was. So let's make sure we really have the setting for this narrative squared away before we go any further. Jesus is with his disciples. At the end of chapter 10, we read, Therefore they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand and went away again beyond Jordan into the place where John at first baptized, and there he abode. And many resorted unto him and said, John did no miracle, but all the things that John spake of this man were true. And many believed on him there. Now one of the things that can be confusing in this narrative is that there are two places named Bethany. The place where Jesus and his friends are when they receive the news is Bethany beyond the Jordan or 
Bethany across the Jordan, as it is labeled on the map included in your liturgy. Located just across into the east of the Jordan River, we find this Bethany across the Jordan. The place where Lazarus and his sisters lived is in Bethany also, and it is to the west of there, just east of Jerusalem. And just to add a bit more confusing, confusion, Bethany across the Jordan is called Bethabara in John chapter 128 in the King James, if you're following along there. But there's no need to get worked up. They are one in the same place. Hopefully that map will help as you try to understand the logistics of this narrative. Once again, in verse 6, we read, When he had heard, therefore, he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. I would like to propose that this response would have been received in two distinctly different ways. To the messengers who delivered the news, they would likely have been surprised, shocked even. Why would Jesus not strike out immediately and go to be with the family that was so close to him? The messengers, after all, had been sent with urgency by Martha and Mary. But perhaps the disciples who were with Jesus may have understood this action or inaction a bit differently. No doubt they knew that Jesus would want to go and be with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, but they had narrowly escaped the Jews who sought to capture Jesus. And besides, the ministry was flourishing. In verse 42 of chapter 10, it records, And many believed on him there. To Jesus' disciples, there is every good reason to stay where they are. But two days after receiving the news that Lazarus is gravely ill, Jesus finally tells his disciples, let us go into Judea again. And the disciples respond, Rabbi, teacher, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? In light of the context, we can see why they responded this way to Jesus wanting to go back to Judea. They they are concerned about his safety and theirs. Which brings us to another surprising response from Jesus, or at least surprising to us. Jesus answers the disciples who were questioning the return to the place where they had recently escaped is not as direct as we might be inclined to respond ourselves. Jesus responds with, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. The straightforward implication of this response seems to indicate that when we walk in the light, we walk according to God's perfect will. And this we know Jesus does perfectly. Neither Jesus nor any of his disciples who were with him need worry about an untimely death or their ministry being cut short. We ought to take comfort in this response and be reminded that our days are numbered and we can't add to them by cowering in safety, nor can we take away from them by venturing out boldly to pursue what God has called us to. It is when we depart from God's ways, when we walk in the night, as it were, that we stumble. As Calvin observed, it amounts to this. 
that the eyes of God will always be attentive to guard those who shall stand attentive to his instructions. Hence, we learn also that whenever men overlook and disregard the word of God and consequently indulge themselves foolishly and undertake whatever they think right, the whole course of their life is accursed by God and vengeance is always ready to punish their presumption and their blind passions, end quote. As Jesus began, begins to unveil his purpose to leaving and heading back to Bethany, he tells the disciples in verse 11, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Now Jesus had before used this description of death as sleep when he raised Jairus' daughter. We read this account in Luke 8. But the disciples did not take the reasoning that way because they responded, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. There is hopeful sense in the disciples' analysis. Sometimes when recovering from a severe illness, restful sleep is an indication that the sick person has turned the corner and recovery has begun. If Lazarus is sleeping, then there is no need to go to Bethany and face possible danger. He is sleeping and will likely recover. But sometimes, we just need to say what needs to be said in the plainest and most direct way possible so that people understand. And so Jesus responds, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. And then John records a detail that for us is curious. It may be difficult to understand. Upon hearing that Lazarus is dead, and that Jesus is directing his disciples to go go to Bethany, we read in verse 16, Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go also, that we may die with him. What does Thomas mean when he says this? And why is it included in the narrative? There is some difference of opinion among the commentators on this verse, but I think Calvin once again gets it right in noting that this is the language of despair and inconsiderate zeal. As one commentator characterizes Thomas' statement, Seeing we cannot dissuade our Lord from going, and his death is likely to be the inevitable consequence, let us give him the fullest proof we can of our love by going and suffering death with him. As to the question of why this is included in the narrative, I believe this is yet more evidence that we have come to expect in John's Gospel this legal evidence, this courtroom evidence. John is making a case that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And as he includes these real details of what happened, what was said, how it was said, we come to further see that these things are indeed true. There is a note of despair in Thomas's words, just as we might have known under those circumstances. And yet, along with the despair... We see Thomas's faith in following Jesus. We see his willingness to go even as he speaks 
and encourages the other disciples to go also. So Jesus and the disciples break camp, as it were, and travel to Bethany, which is about two miles east of Jerusalem, and about a day's journey from their location across the river. And when they arrive at Bethany, Jesus is informed that Lazarus has already been dead in the tomb for four days. And as we read verse 19, And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Jesus arrives. Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days, and Mary and Martha are in mourning and being visited by their Jewish friends and acquaintances. This is a scene of standard protocol following a death in the family. As John MacArthur observes, when someone died, family, friends, neighbors, even disconnected strangers pour into their life. Everybody showed up. In the case of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they must have been a very prominent family. Burial followed death immediately, and as a result of the death, people would be notified. They would come to the house. There would be a procession, a procession from wherever the house was and going to the place where the body was buried. By the way, we can infer prominence by the number of those who came to console them and by the expensive spikenard ointment that Mary provided that John records in the next chapter. MacArthur continues. The procession would then go back to the house, and mourners would stay for seven days. Seven days. This is how long the initial part of the funeral lasted. Formal mourning lasted for 30 days. For seven days, people would be sitting in the house. Now, they couldn't eat until the body was taken to be buried. They didn't want any kind of levity. They didn't want any kind of joy being expressed. They didn't want any kind of normalcy until the body had been buried. And then they would serve a meal. They actually had designed a meal of bread, hard-boiled eggs, and lentils, kind of a traditional meal to feed the people who were going to stay with them. Then they would continue to have to care for these people, or others would bring food as the mourners stayed for seven days. And this is the setting that Jesus is about to be greeted with as he arrives. Halfway through the week-long mourning trial, lots of people, tears, wailing, and perhaps even professional mourners to lead the family and friends in their grief. Now to verse 20. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Isn't it great? Isn't it comforting that we see this consistency in Martha's personality? If you recall the story from Luke 10, we read, But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Martha 
is still Martha in this narrative. Even when her brother has died, Martha rushes out to challenge Jesus and petition him for help. Or is it more of a chastisement? If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Which sounds a lot like what she said earlier in Luke 10. Do you not care that my sister has left me alone? But let's not be too hard on Martha. She has a clear understanding of the power that Jesus possesses. She also has a good understanding of what will happen at the last day. For when Jesus tells her, your brother will rise again, she responds, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Her grasp of the creed is solid. She can say along with us in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. But there is more that Martha needs to understand. There is more that we need to understand. You see, a creed with no Jesus as the object of our faith and the power over that which we profess is an impotent creed. There is no power in simply believing a set of propositions. Even the demons believe. We must believe into the one we profess. So when Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He is not saying, I am the one who will give the resurrection and give everlasting life. No, he is saying more than that. He is identifying himself as the resurrection and the life. You see, it is impossible, impossible to separate the resurrection and eternal life from the person of Jesus. As Spurgeon observes, the I am is self-existence. He has life in himself even as the Father has life in himself. He that was alive and was dead is alive forevermore. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I am the resurrection and the life. Only God can say that and make it make any sense whatsoever. The resurrection and the life radiate from the one center, I am. Jesus is the I am, and as the I am, He is the resurrection and the life. There is no resurrection and no life except that they are embodied in the person and work of Jesus. When Jesus Christ is absent, the resurrection and life are absent. On the other hand, when Christ is present, the resurrection and life are present. There simply is no hope of a resurrected body and eternal life without Christ. If I am to live unto God, I must have Christ. And if I desire to continue in my life unto God, I must continue in Christ. I must have Christ. Anything beyond the circle of Christ is death. You are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God, wrote the Apostle Paul. End quote. The question for you is the same question that Jesus asked Martha. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Martha responded, 
Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is to come into the world. And so we continue at verse 28. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she, that is Mary, heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her, Mary, in the house and comforting her, when they saw that, saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, they followed her saying, she is going to the tomb to weep there. Martha leaves to tell Jesus to go tell her sister, and when Mary receives the news, she rushes out of the house, and those with her naturally assume that Mary is stricken with grief and heading to the tomb to weep. But she is rushing, rushing not to the tomb, but to meet Jesus. And when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary has the same response her sister had upon meeting Jesus. If only you had been here. If only you had been here, Lazarus would not have died. To know the one who holds the power of life upon his lips and not think or say the same thing would be difficult for any one of us. We would have said the same thing. We would have had the same hope that Mary and Martha brought. They knew that Jesus could have saved Lazarus if only he had been there in time. But Jesus has a greater purpose in mind, and he must now be about that purpose. Therefore, when Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? The emotions of those present were evident. There was deep grief. There was sorrow in the crowd and in the sisters. And now, in Jesus. And they led Jesus to the tomb. Lord, come and see, they say. Have you been there? Have you been there before? Our experience with death is, is so much more sterile these days, but our grief and sorrow is just as raw. Have you been there and experienced this sort of grief? Have you been to a funeral home, perhaps during a visitation? You come to repay, to pay your respects to the family, but also come to come to terms with your own sorrow and grief at the loss of a good friend or a loved one. And you hesitate as you see the open casket around the corner. And noticing your hesitation, a gentle but steady family member approaches your position and says, come and see, knowing that you need the encouragement to move further. And when Jesus gets to the tomb, we come to that shortest verse in the Scripture that simply reads, Jesus wept. Jesus cries aloud with a deep, heartfelt sorrow. Though He knows the end from the beginning, 
Though he knows what is about to happen, his grieving is real and his groaning is real. For as much then as the children are partakers of the flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same as Hebrews instructs us. And in partaking of flesh and blood, that through the death he might destroy him that had power of death, he also partook of the full depths of the emotions that come with our humanity. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some even said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? We have seen his miraculous workings. And look how deeply he grieves. Couldn't he have kept his good friend from dying? Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. I should note this groaning is not a quiet, respectable utterance of grief. No, this is a powerful sobbing, a snorting, tinged with anger kind of groaning. And as Jesus tells someone to take away the stone from the opening to the cave where they had laid Lazarus' body, the ever-practical Martha is there once again to let Jesus know, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. I think most of us know what Martha is speaking of. We have been around enough death, at least with regards to wild animals or farm animals, to know immediately the stench of death. Depending on environmental conditions, decay sets in pretty quickly. And under the conditions in this part of the world, decay is well underway after three days. And here we are at four days. Martha is right. The Jewish burial tradition was not like that of the Egyptians. There was no embalming process to preserve the body. A few spices and some cloths to hold the spices next to the body. That was it. But Jesus continues. Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. The opening to the cave is covered by a stone. And I think it is probably intuitively obvious that that stone served at least a couple of purposes. It served to keep out wild animals. And it served to hold the stench in. It may also have served to deter grave robbers and the such. As the drama unfolds, the reason that Jesus delayed is about to be revealed. Recall in verse 4 that Jesus said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. If Jesus had returned immediately to Bethany and and Lazarus had been dead but for a short while, some would have said that Lazarus is not actually dead, but only mostly dead, as has been said elsewhere. But after four days in the tomb, no one, not even the most skeptical person there, would think it possible that Lazarus wasn't dead or that his spirit could somehow be rejoined to his body. He was beyond dead. He was dead dead. He, his body was well 
into the process of decay. And I don't want to add too much levity. This, this is weighty. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he said these things, he cried with a loud, loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. If I may borrow the words of Spurgeon once more, use your imagination for a few moments and see in your mind what was happening at the tomb. Mary leaned on Martha's shoulder, hiding her eyes from the horrid scene. She tried to dampen the sounds of death about her. Martha held Mary tight and tried to prepare herself for the odor of death. People moved aside so so Jesus could come near. Martha could see clearly now the entrance to the tomb. This is where she and her sister had directed the men to bury their father. They could barely see through the shadows a figure sitting up. He rose from the stone bench, slowly moved toward the entrance of the tomb. Martha's heart pounded as she peeked through her fingers. Mary, she whispered, look, look. Everyone moved together closer for the, to the opening, not wanting to miss a thing. They could see now the white binding cloth which wrapped the figure of a man. They watched in utter disbelief as the man began trying to remove the burial wrappings. Instead of the repulsive odor, odor they had expected, the air was filled with the fragrance of myrrh and aloes. Fragrance of heaven filled the air. Jesus saw Lazarus struggling with the wrappings and commanded, Unbind him, let him go. Martha left Mary and grabbed the head napkin and asked, Lazarus, is it really you? She could see the color of his hair and his beautiful eyes clearly sparkled. The skin had lost its ashen color of death. His winsome smile teased. Martha, will you stand there all day or will you get me out of this mess? Lazarus had been dead for four days and Jesus came and cried out, Come out! And he came out. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. When Jesus cried out, Lazarus, come forth, it mattered not at all the condition of Lazarus' body, nor the location of his spirit. For Lazarus must come forth. He had to obey. As God spoke all of creation into existence by the word of his power, so Jesus speaks Lazarus back to life. Lazarus heeded the voice of the good shepherd of his soul and came forth from the grave. Lazarus returned from death to a continuation of his mortal life. By contrast, those who hear the shout on the last day are called out to resurrection life. A glorified and incorruptible body is raised in newness of life. 
But before the resurrection, life could be imparted to others. Jesus himself had to die and be raised from the dead. He triumphed over death. Because he lives, we too shall live. Do you believe this? The omnipotence and the mercy of God are revealed when Jesus revealed himself as the Son of God. The Father and the Son are equally revealed in the exercise of these attributes of Jesus when he raised Lazarus from the dead. The shining forth of the glory of the Son is the shining forth of the Father's own glory. We, too, will be glorified when Jesus returns. Moreover, all of this glory of the Father and the Son is connected with our salvation. Do you believe this? Your spiritual life, in every breath it draws, is found in Christ. It is in vital union to Christ, and you have no life of your own. For the Christian, it must always be, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Jesus is ever proclaiming to the true believer, I am the resurrection and the life. Our merciful and glorious Father in heaven, we are ever thankful for Christ our Savior, for his life given for our lives, for his power over death. We thank you for giving us ears to hear your truth and the ability to respond with joy. O Lord, we pray that you would make of us a thankful people, that our zeal for the good news would increase and that our love for our neighbor would grow, and that you would embolden us to go out from this place with a renewed desire to tell all that we meet that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, so that at the last day, many would come forth from their graves at the call of your voice and rejoice in your presence at our sides. In this we pray for your glory in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.